We've been um, working on this little mini-mini series around Easter in Colossians, and this morning we're going to wind that up. And um, um, so open your heart, and I know that we've been sitting listening for a long time, but open your heart for the Word of God this morning. I'm going to read with you Colossians 2, uh, 6 to 15. So follow along with me, or look on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted, built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and your, the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." If you spend time just pondering some of the words in those few short verses, you will come out hugely encouraged. Hugely encouraged. We've been looking at a few sections of Colossians and we've used Easter as the centre of that. And with our focus being on the supremacy of Christ, how supreme is Jesus, how supreme is our God. And so I wanted to call my sermon this morning, My God is So Big, and I wanted us to sing that song. Who remembers that song? Couldn't get the youth band to do it. No, actually, I didn't ask them. I'm tricking. I'm denying them. Maybe they'll do it later. That's sort of a... But the whole concept that, that Jesus is superior to all others, Paul wants the readers, the, the readers of the letter, the receivers of the letter, Colossians, to get that. And he wants us to get that. That he did, that Jesus Christ did what no one else could ever do. And that was what Easter was about. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we talked about being made alive in him. And because he rose, we rose too. And that's our hope. It's no longer us that live, but Christ that lives in us. And we say that really easily, but what does that really mean? What does that really look like? Christ's finished work. Christ took it all on him. And in verse 9 in our reading is, is, is really key because it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So this is a sense that everything and all that God is, is in Christ Jesus. But even better than that, well, no, that's fantastic. But as well as that, as we're in Christ, we have the fullness of Christ. We have the fullness of God in us as well. Wonderful Great message for Easter, right? Yeah? Great Easter. It's not Easter anymore though, right? How about the other side of Easter? How do you come out of Easter? The chocolate's finished. Long weekend is a memory for most of us. Good news was good. 
but the noise of the good news is kind of fading. You know, the Easter celebration is kind of, you know, the, and that's great. We say, you know, Jesus is alive and we love talking about that. But does that linger? Does that kind of, coming out of Easter, does that kind of feeling linger or do we start looking forward to the next public holiday or the next celebration or the next thing? Colossians is a great letter from Paul uh, to help the church to deal with the confusion that false teaching brought to the people. There was false teaching infiltrating the church and, and it's in, you'll see that in verse 8 where he says, See to it, no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition. So the church is struggling. They've had the good news. They know who Jesus is. Um, Paul himself had never been there. I think uh, in one of the sermons that either Glenn or, or Joel did while I was away, talked about that. Paul himself never went to the... But, but he, people that he had planted a church with went and did that. So they knew the good news. They knew the excitement of Christ in you, the hope of glory. But now they were dealing with confusing teaching that was infiltrating the church and it was getting in quite easily. It was false teaching. It's not, false teaching is not always really obvious things. It's not always, hey, you know what, why don't you go and rob a bank? Duh, I'm not going to do that. And false teaching can be subtle and it was subtle and it began to undo the finished work of the cross or discount the finished work of the cross, or undermine the work of the cross or the truth of the gospel. It would, and, and when that happens, it's discouraging. You become discouraged. You uh, become confused. Um, we lived in the Netherlands for quite a few years, and one of the, um, I guess one of the, the main um, influential religion, religious denominations there is, is the historic Reformed Church. And one of the most respected professors, when I was living there, one of the most respected professors of the Reformed tradition in the Netherlands, an old guy, began to write articles questioning the resurrection, the actual physical resurrection of Christ. This man had huge influence. He didn't say, well, it didn't happen. But he began to question it. He began to bring in other kind of theories. There was a huge shaking because it unsettled everybody, because it undid everything. It wasn't an obvious thing like saying, you know, Jesus is dead. That's how false teaching and confusing stuff. And that's what was happening with this church. They knew the truth. Uh, they were birthed as a church with that truth, the truth of Easter, the truth of new life. It was exciting and new. It was empowering. It was life-giving. They knew about the resurrection of power of Easter and that it was theirs. Yet they struggled to hang on to it and they struggled to own it when the going got tough because memory fades, doesn't it? The excitement had waned, their chocolate was finished, the honeymoon was over, the original joy was being undermined and robbed, the shine was off. And that voice, that good news of salvation, that, that voice was becoming an echo. And here's the interesting thing, Paul doesn't deal with this by attacking the false teaching. Anyone ever notice that? He doesn't deal with this by sort of attacking the false teachers and saying, you know, guys, they're wrong. He doesn't deal with it by undoing it. He doesn't even address it. Interestingly, what he does, he deals with it by telling them and reminding them of who Christ is, what he did, and what he does for them. That's how he deals with false teaching. He brings in the truth. Reminding them who they are in Christ and the knowledge of this, he knows that if they apply this knowledge to their lives, that their lives would and should, and this knowledge would and should be enough to destroy 
any false or misleading teaching or thought. And this is Paul's strategy, isn't it? Don't live out of what others are saying. The truth is Christ is supreme over all. Live out of that. Embody that. Move out of Easter with that truth firmly embedded and encouraging you. This would be huge for them. Paul knew that you know, reminding them of the truth and, and, and reminding them of the supremacy of Christ and all that happened, that would be huge. And they would be able to sing that song, My God is so big, it just wasn't written yet then. Well, maybe it was, it's that old, right? No. In verses 13 to, 14, to 15, there are key verses. Paul reminds them of three great truths that will encourage them. And there are three things that they need and three things that they need to know. So they need these three things and they need to know these three things. Three truths that are unchanging, three facts that are unchanging. And these three things, I think, are also things that encourage us as we head out of the other side of Easter. As we try to figure out how we appropriate, appropriate and activate the truth that Easter brought to us. And brings us every year, but how do we do that? That we have this same big God, a Saviour who is supreme. Here's the three things. Number one, he's bigger than our sin. He beat it and we needed it. Okay, he's bigger than our sin. He beat sin and we needed him to beat it. Number two, he's bigger than our guilt. He cancelled our debt and we need that. Number three, he's bigger than any other influence or power. He totally made mincemeat of them. And we need to know this. So the first one, and I'm going to talk about him really quickly. The first one, he's bigger than our sin. He forgives. You know, the key word here is, and, and Paul uses that, is he. If we have a look at what, um, what it says, so um, if you go into verse, I think it's verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Here's the key thing. God is bigger than our sins. He forgives and He does it. We couldn't do it. He did it. I didn't do it and you didn't do it. And I think we need to know that sometimes. That He forgives sin. Verse 13 says that when we were dead, dead people can't do much, can they? You know, if... No, we won't go down that road. Dead people can't do anything. And the Bible, Paul, calls us dead. We needed God to do it. He made us alive and we needed it. We were on a trajectory to destruction. And this is important for us to understand, not just from the perspective of humanity as a whole. So guess what? Humans and people and humanity is on a road to destruction. We need to know this personally as individuals. Understand that we needed to be saved and we need to realize that we're dependent on it. You know, we, or at least I, and I think we, we try hard uh, to take the credit. We try hard to do better often, don't we? I was listening to a sermon, a podcast this morning that talked about the whole concept of, of the gospel, how we try hard to do better. We try uh, to somehow add to it because that's in our, that's in our nature. We want to be worthy. Or we want to have the sense that we are. And the truth is, we weren't worthy and we aren't. And I think we need to know that. That's the power of what Jesus did. We were dead in our sin and God in Christ made us alive. And Paul reminds us 
that even when we weren't helping the situation, because we were dead, God forgave us of all our sin. Not some, but all of our sin. And that reminds me of Romans 5. You know that scripture in Romans 5 where it says, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us? I always think that's an amazing scripture. And when I had, when I, not when I had kids, I have kids, but <laughs> my son's sort of... Whew. Kids, you know, you, you love them and you always love them. And we, as parents, sometimes we can get to the point where we want them to perform in order to display our love. But the truth is that even when they're doing the wrong thing, we still love them, don't we, parents? We still love them. Do they annoy us? Mm-hmm. Do we want to do something to them? Mm-hmm. But the truth is we still love them, that even while they're sinning. But Christ went much, much further than that. He gave his life, even though we weren't even busy trying to please him. Even though we weren't even, we were actually throwing it back in his face. I love that in Romans chapter 5. But because of what Christ did, we were made alive. We were dead and God forgave us of all our sin. And that's our status now, isn't it? That's your status now. Don't let anyone or anything tell you or cause you to think otherwise. And this is what Paul's saying and this is what we need to hear coming out of Easter. You can't add to it. But you can't take away from it either. There's no one or nothing that can undo what Jesus did on the cross. Because Christ is supreme. If they could, he would not be supreme. His work cannot be undone. Good news? I think so. So the first one, he's bigger than our sin. If you get the second one, he's bigger than our guilt. He cancelled the debt he forgets. The key idea here is that he cancelled with a D, not cancels. And there's a little bit of a difference there. You know, it's not cancels like we still need to see it happen or that somehow we could affect it, that somehow we could do something to, to see that he cancelled. He's cancelled it. It's done. It's finished. You know, Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. It, it was finished. It was done for us. You know, and living with guilt or fear or condemnation is holding that truth at a distance, is keeping it away. We need to know this. We need to move confidently in life knowing that the court case has already happened and we've been judged as free. And something in our justice system, internal system, struggles with that. But that's the truth of Easter. That's the truth of the supreme sacrifice that Christ made. We do need conviction. Conviction that turns us to Christ to be reminded of and to ask for his forgiveness. That's what conviction does. But often we live in condemnation and guilt that holds us rather in a place of fear and beginning to feel like or feeling like our sin is greater or stronger than God's work of forgiveness. Can you identify with that? I do sometimes. You know, we live in condemnation and guilt and you just think, you know, I've just sinned beyond the capacity of the cross. It's amazing how we can think that because that, be that, that would mean that Christ is not supreme. Or we feel that the accuser's convincing voice is more influential than Jesus' defensive work. Paul says that that nullifies the gospel. When we do that, 
that undoes the gospel and it cripples us. There are so many places in God's word that talk about us being free of condemnation. And I was going to read, but you know the scriptures, you know. Verse 14 says that the conviction has been taken away and the debt has been cancelled. And here again, Paul reminds us of the supremacy of Christ. Once he's done that, it cannot be undone by anyone or any power. Even me. And I wrote that in, in bold. Even me. Because, quite frankly, I'm often the greatest undoer of this truth in my own life. I like to blame powers outside myself and people that influence me and bad things and all that sort of stuff. But really, quite frankly, the greatest undoer of this truth is often me, myself. And Paul reminds us of the supremacy of Christ even over me and myself. He forgets our sin and he doesn't associate us with it anymore. Conviction dealt with sets us free to live for Christ. Condemnation and guilt enslaves us and cripples us. Let me say that again. Conviction of sin and dealt with sets us free to live for Christ. Condemnation and guilt enslaves us and cripples us. We were set free by a big saviour. That is good news and it's encouraging, right? Yes? This would be, yeah, amen. So he's bigger than our sin. He's bigger than our guilt. And the third one, he's bigger than any other influence or power. I like this. He shamed them and he disempowered them all. Verse 15 says that they surrendered and they've been disarmed and they got nothing. You know, when you think of when an army surrenders... They don't leave the army. Like when, when the army surrenders to the op- opposition, you don't leave them with a few, few guns and swords and that. They get nothing. When you surrender, you get nothing. You don't even get status anymore. You don't even get to be listened to or negotiated with or, or given any credibility or honor. And that's the kind of picture that we have. That's what Jesus did with the powers and authorities. They got nothing. And, he, and further, he parades them to be shamed and humiliated for even trying to kill us. You know, and in early times, that's what they did. In, in, in Bible times, in early times, when, the, when, a, when another city went in and conquered a city, they would completely obliterate and conquer the city, but then they would take the king and the queen and, and whoever the leaders and that, and they would parade them through the city and they'd humiliate them. The whole idea was that they didn't only not want to leave behind any physical, but they wanted the people to actually look at them and and despise them and say, why would we ever let this person lead us? They wanted to totally undo them. So they had nothing. They got nothing. Belittle them, humiliate them, weaken them, reduce any chance of a comeback. That's how the war worked. We totally need to know this. There is no power or influence in my life or your life that has the power to undo the work of Christ in our lives. Now, I don't always live like this. I don't know about you. Because they look like they're powerful or they try to look like it. They trick us or they confuse us. But it's all smoke and mirrors. They've been disarmed. They shoot blanks. They've got nothing. Not only that, Christ has so roundly defeated sin's power over us that there is no chance of a comeback. You know, that, that's really encouraging for me because I kind of, I can live in victory for a season, but then I have a season where I think, oh, the enemy's making a comeback. But the scripture says there's no chance of a comeback. Finished, done. He can't. No chance of a comeback. 
we can often be the ones that give that credence or a place, can't we? We can allow doubt to creep in and we can fall prey to the fake displays of power over us that sin and the enemy carry out. But Paul reminds us that they've been beaten and that Christ has triumphed. Not triumphing, triumphed. (laughs) There's another ED over them. So we're free to live knowing that he that is in us really is greater than he that is in the world. There's another old one for us. Does this take practice and alignment? It does in my life, it does, and I'm sure it does in your life. And that's why it's so great to, you know, to talk about partnership. It's always so great to be part of a church family because I'm not always aligned. I'm not always hearing the truth from my head and I need you to speak the truth to me. I need my community, my, my church family around me to do that. I need my life group, my grow group, my, my friends, the word. I, I need these contexts that God has given me to remind me of the truth, to help me to realign with the truth. Don't you? That's why we have community. That's why we have youth, kids, young adults, life groups, grow groups. That's why the words here, and it's why, you know, we're encouraged to read the words. Why we pray with each other and for each other. Why we do prayer after the service. That prayer after the service is not just for basket cases. I am a bit of a basket case sometimes, but it's not just for people that are absolutely, you know, have no idea how to walk out of this place. It's for all of us. Because we need each other. We need community. We need to be reminded of the truth. So we left Easter behind last week, but what Easter represents didn't leave us behind. It's still with us, isn't it? Jesus said it's finished. But for us, it's kind of starting, still going. It's on. It's new life. It's freedom. It's the confidence to live a life in the knowledge of the truth that my God is so big. His work is so complete. His power is so great. I need not fear anything or doubt his love or his salvation. That's the message of Easter that lingers. I'm a child of God and I'm a follower of Christ and that's my identity and it's fixed. So I can say with the psalmist, and this is a great psalm, you know, when I'm struggling, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? The maker of heaven and earth, the saver of my soul. That's where my help comes from. This is an amazing and encouraging truth for us. A truly supreme saviour who calls me to follow him. Now, in this life, to live with him, for him, and in eternity live with him. Now to live for him, in eternity live with him. Are you encouraged? I hope so. I hope that's what Easter's about. Let's pray. Father God, we are um, truly thankful for your passionate love for us to continue to remind us and to show us just how much you love us, just what it means um, to belong to you. Jesus, we're eternally thankful for the work that you did on the cross, for your willingness to come, serve your Father, serve us, to take upon you all of that which we were guilty of and to totally deal with it so that we could live in freedom. God, we know those truths, but Lord, I pray for each one of us, for myself and for each one of us, for the times that that truth becomes an echo where the, the, the noise becomes faint, the, the words become faint, the memory begins to fade and 
um, we become overwhelmed. Holy Spirit, we just pray for your, um, your good work in us to remind us of just how complete the work of Christ was in our life. How unchanging it is and how forever it is fixed. We praise you and thank you for that. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.